Seven out of ten proctologists recommend listening to The Drew Marshall Show. A soul cake, a soul cake. These good misses a soul cake. An apple, a pear, a plum or a cherry. Any good thing to make us all merry. Soul cake, a soul cake. These good misses a soul cake. For Peter, two for Paul, and three for him that made us Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to the Drew Marshall Show, streaming live at drewmarshall.ca and live right here in southern Ontario. Enjoy 1250. We have 150 countries listening in each and every week. It's crazy. Wow. And only 139 were at the conference for um, the environment in Paris. Yeah, we're more environmental. We're more environmentally yeah. friendly. Emphasis on mentally. Um, up next is the author of Garden City, Work, Rest, and the Art of Being Human. You should read this book, Tim. The Art of Being Human. You should try it. <laughs> well, I've, I've spent a lot of years watching you, so I know what not to do. Uh, in a culture of individuals striving and often failing to have a healthy work-life balance, work can often uh, become misinterpreted as the enemy. In his latest release, Garden City, Work, Rest, and the Art of Being Human, Pastor John Mark... Actually, let's just get John right on the uh, on the line right now. John, can you hear me okay? Are you there, big guy? Absolutely. Happy Saturday to you. Happy Saturday to you. Happy Sabbath. I guess it's the real one. Um, John That's Mark, right. uh, is it Comer? How do you say your last name? Comer. Okay, Comer. I, I knew I was mispronouncing it, and I didn't want to keep going to the bio and slaughtering your name, right? So, Comer. No worries. Now uh, you have it down. John says this, in the church, we need to talk about all of life. All too often, there is a massive disconnect between spiritual life and life. What it means to be a disciple of Jesus at church and at our job, school, gym, coffee shop, on our day off, when we go shopping or to the theater on a date and so on. Because it's in work and rest, work and rest, that we invest the lion's share of our lives. So, John... um, we're talking about balance here, and do you think, honestly, I mean, I'm going to start off like a jerk here, which is a spiritual gift of mine. Um, do you think that, that it's possible? Like, is balance actually possible? Isn't the, isn't the definition of life being constantly unbalanced in some way or the other? You know, one day we feel, you know, 80% uh, close with God, and, and then at the end of that day, we're like down to 20%. Uh, one day we're energized so much, and we're at the gym, and the next day we're down again. It's just always up and down, the yin and yang of the whole thing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I wonder if the right word is rhythm over balance. You oh, know, that's good. By Genesis, Genesis 1, Genesis 2, you see this. However you read the six days of Genesis, whatever your interpretation of that is, you see this rhythm in creation uh, for six, and then you see it repeat itself in Ten Commandments, you know, for six days you shall work, and then on the seventh you shall rest. This kind of rhythm and interplay of work and rest, daylight, nighttime, summer, winter. I wonder if it's a little bit less about balance and a little bit more about tapping into the right kind of rhythm. And even that is elusive, I think, in the modern world because of digital technology and a phone and the office in our back pocket everywhere we go with email and text message and the internet and freeway and life and transportation. I think it's elusive more than ever. This last summer, my wife and I did kind of a social experiment, and we devoted our summer to what we called the pursuit of an unbusy life because we're just always busy. Like, you ask anybody, how are you? Ah, good, but busy. 
And uh, when I would tell people that, people would burst out laughing because everybody thought I was joking. Nobody actually thought it's even possible to live an unbusy life. But I think it is, and I think there's a pursuit there, that in particular for followers of an unbusy rabbi that we call Jesus, I think there's something there for us to chase after. But isn't there a biblical model? Oh, I never thought I'd say that sentence. Isn't there, <laughs> isn't there a biblical model that suggests, dude, you need to work, and you need to work a lot. As a matter of fact, you need to work six days, and then you can have a day off. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's right in the Ten Commandments. The other half of the Sabbath command is not just, you know, Sabbath and remember the Sabbath, but it's for six days you shall work. Now, of course, we have to define work as broader than just our job or what we get paid for, because there's all sorts of stuff that falls into the biblical model, if you want to borrow that language of work, that is outside of our job. Everything from cleaning up the dishes to cooking to mowing the lawn, if you have one, to washing your car, whatever it is, all exercise, all of this falls into the biblical, much larger category of work. And there are six days that we devote to contribution and to reshaping the raw materials of the world into what God has in mind. And then there's one day that we set aside for rest. So so what I hear you saying is that we should be literalists, we should be legalists, like the acidic... Hasidic, not acidic Jews. Well, it depends who you're hanging out with and what his pH level's like. Um, But, you know, we we should not then, because you're saying even doing the dishes is work. So on the Sabbath, we shouldn't use an electronic elevator. Uh, We should use the cables. On a Sabbath, we should not do dishes or chores or vacuum or whatever. We really should. We should go back to those old school 1950s grandfather freaking out about us playing cards kind of thing. Uh, you're not really saying that, are you? Because I heard you just say, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm having a tough time understanding all this. I think I heard you say that, yeah, vacuuming and doing dishes and washing your car, that's work. Yeah, because that's exactly what I said. You're at the, pretty much a direct <laughs> quote to what I just said 30 seconds ago. I, I would say to you what Jesus said to the Pharisees that had lost the plot line on both work and rest. He said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And in the first century, where there were just literally hundreds of rules that had cropped up and grown up around the one command to take a Sabbath, Jesus had to lay into these guys who had lost the plot line, and the Sabbath, instead of a life-giving day of delight, had become just another litany of rules to keep God happy and on your side. And so we had to say, hey, listen, the Sabbath's made for man, not man for the Sabbath. But I would argue that 21st century followers of Jesus have the exact opposite problem. It's not that we have hundreds of legalistic rules about the Sabbath. It's that we don't have any. Most people don't even practice Sabbath anymore. So personally, there's all sorts of debate about whether or not the Sabbath still stands as command. It's the only one of the Ten Commandments not repeated in the New Testament. Paul seems to have some stuff to say about how one person observes this day, another. And so scholars are back and forth about whether or not it stands as a command. Personally, my guess is it doesn't. But I think it still stands as wisdom. We see it in the Genesis account, in the creation account before sin, before Israel, before the Ten Commandments, way before the Torah. We see this rhythm in creation. So I think it stands along with sleep eight hours a night or don't drink 20 cups of coffee in a day. It's not that you're sinning if you sleep four hours a night or you drink caffeine all all day long. It's just stupid. If you want to live an unhealthy life, have at it. And so I don't think it's sinning to miss out on the Sabbath or whatever, but I think there's a wisdom, especially in the late modern age, digital technology and workaholism in the West, I think there's such wisdom, ancient of a weekly day of rest. Okay, uh, on the phone with uh, John, John Mark Comer, he is the author of Garden City. Uh, John, are, are you an A-type? Are you a workaholic? Yeah, 
Well, I'm a recovering workaholic. I'm still type A, but I wouldn't call myself a workaholic anymore. But yeah, that was my de facto setting for very many years. De facto setting for very many years. So how did you stop? How did, like, did you go to a support group? Hi, my name's John Mark Comer, and I'm a workaholic. I think I hit the wall. I, um, I hit a, a huge place of burnout and was just kind of emotionally wrecked and stopped loving, you know, went from loving a job to thinking about quitting the job that I used to love and didn't anymore, lost joy in my labor, and got to a spot where I could keep doing my job and I was proficient at it, but I was kind of a miserable human being on the inside and around. I was grouchy with my wife and close friends and loved ones. And I realized this is not the person I want to become, and I'm on a trajectory to continue to become even more of this kind of a person if I don't change how I live. And so I had to radically kind of reorient my work-life balance and my practice of rest. I had absolutely zero Sabbath practice at the time, zero margin. I would just kind of work all day, all the time. So, yeah, I had to go through kind of a hard crash and then a rebuilding of my life around new rhythms that will hopefully carry me through the rest of my life. Um what kind of medication were you on when you were leading three churches? <laughs> it's called coffee, and uh, <laughs> it was not all that helpful, to be honest. <laughs> no, I've just, I've never heard of, I don't know, has any, I've, Tim, have you ever heard of anyone leading three churches? I've never even, you, look, the people that I know that lead churches are barely leading that church, let that, alone three churches. That would be my response. I mean, if you're, if you're You'd like... You'd be like a polygamist. Well, I mean, there are... <laughs> That's kind of not where I was church going. Church Yes. I guess if if they're you know they they're like a part time in each thing because the congregations are so small they can't support one that might be a little different. But if you're no, I, this, three full I, churches, John, that's come on, crazy. You, you weren't leading three country bumpkin you know hillbilly churches. You were leading three yeehaw American praise the Lord churches, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, it was more of a multi site model that had become a little bit more of like a little. We call it family of churches, like a little network right. of churches. Okay. There's actually quite a few people doing that. It's not as impressive it sounds <laughs> as it sounds, but it was sure a whole lot of work. Okay, I remember when I used to be a pastor. <sighs> it always hurts going back to these memories. And within the first week or two, I was working in my office in the church, and it was it was like 7 o'clock at night, and there was the learning curve, right? So you stay, and you, you, you do the hard yards, and you, you know, you... You don't just clock out when it's time to clock out or whatever. And I remember the senior pastor coming in and knocking on my door, and and he kind of said, Wow, look at you. There's another guy that likes to work real hard like me and and stay late. And I thought, Ooh, that's a warning sign for me right there. And I saw it later. Like, the dude was a workaholic, and it was not a healthy thing. And and that was not – I just see that amongst so many many, uh, spiritual leaders. I don't know what – is it the personality type and that helps them decide to get in? Anyway, we're talking about spiritual leaders. This is a book for everybody, and I don't want to get hung up on how many pastors need to just freaking chill and have a life. <sighs> I think I vented. Yeah, I could not agree more. I mean, I think part of it is just that the church is a black hole of need. Like, it's just this to-do list that stretches to infinity and back again. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. It just is. It's people. It's community. There's so much to be done. Every church is understaffed for the most part. And then I think a lot of pastor types are those kind of, you know, the Enneagram test there, too. They're helpers there, and we easily slip into, like, a Messiah complex. Like, I'm here to help, to save, to be Jesus to these people, whatever. And that combination is, I think, lethal at times if somebody doesn't have um, kind of a built-in life rhythm of work and of rest and of Sabbath, and also if someone's identity and confidence isn't rooted in the right place. I think it easily becomes moored in kind of the church and serving the church and getting an identity and so forth out of that. 
You know, we it's funny you mentioned the Enneagram. We just had uh, one of their big kahunas on the show last week talking about the Enneagram. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was you know what? Yeah. I got I got to be honest. I hate formulaic stuff. It just gives me a rash. But this thing rocked me. I I've never been yeah. seen like this before. And I don't like it, yeah. and I like it. Anyway, I complete a Yeah, I tell people like take it at your own at your own risk. Like it you're just kind of wrecked for a couple of days afterwards because it's just just man right to the soul yeah because it wrecks your ego game yeah it's not like the other ones like the little self-helpy ones like what's my strength from strength finders oh i'm a whatever it's (laughs) it goes right to your root sin your crappy motivation yeah all the crap that you just need to deal with and rediscover in your discipleship to jesus which is why it's so good and helpful the theology of rest over the last five years i've been developing a, a a doctrine of doubt um theology of rest i don't know man you know, there's a part of me that thinks anybody under 40, that was one of their first theologies they got they got their head wrapped around. Because I see a lot of lazy, entitled couch potatoes. Uh, and I, I just think, man, if they just had a little infusion from some of the old guard who drive us nuts in the church because it's all about work. You know, they'd rather rust out than, no, what is it? Rust out than burn, burn out. out than fade away. Yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, burn out than rust out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other way around. Yeah, that's it. I don't, don't wreck a good story with facts. Um, I, I get nervous when I hear that phrase, a theology of rest. There's just something inside of me that's innate that says, dude, uh, you rest too much. What is a good theology of rest, John? Well, I would say if, if it makes you nervous, it's probably because you need to hear it. That would be my first guess. <laughs> don't you get all Enneagram on me. Yeah. You don't know me. Know it. Yeah, I don't know you, but, you know, I think I'm learning you pretty fast. Okay. Um, yeah, no, I think theology rest is just rooted in the fact that we're made in the image of God and the likeness of God. And in those kind of just framing chapters of Genesis, you see a God who works for six days, and then a God who rests on the Sabbath, and then a God who leads humanity into that rhythm, who then later commands it. And rest is not just an act of not working. It's an act of delight, for one, just a celebration of God's world, but it's also an act of trust. So the rest isn't just to recharge your batteries so that you can go back to work, and that's just a workaholic's view of rest. Mm. To rest is actually just to remember and to recenter around who we are, who we're not, around what it means to be human, around what matters and doesn't matter in life. It's a time to celebrate God and our life in God's world and our relationship with God and our community. And it's a time just to trust that there is a God and I'm not Him, which, as stupid as it sounds, I regularly forget, and I think a lot of us do in the course of life. We forget that there is a God, and every day when I rest, every Sabbath when I rest, I remember that the world is getting along just fine without me. My church that I lead is doing just great that day. My family is doing just great. The earth is still spinning on its axis, and I am doing absolutely nothing. And that is so humbling and so healthy to trust and to remember who I am in my place in the universe and my place in the kingdom of God. Okay, on the phone with uh, John Mark Comer. He is the author of Garden City, Work, Rest, and the Art of Being Human. His name is his website, johnmarkcomer, C-O-M-E-R.com, johnmarkcomer.com. Also in the studio, uh, John, is, uh, uh, are a couple of recording artists, the Weeb, Shane and Angela Weeb. Uh, Shane, I just looked over at him and said, dude, do you want to say anything with this guy? And he lit up. Uh, oh, yeah. Why? I love it, John. I love what you're saying, and I, I really resonated with it. And this is fresh for us. We just got back from Israel where where we got to see this Shabbat Shalom in work. 
I got to see the yeah. process. We got to see the families walking to the beach and dancing in the streets because there's nothing open and there's nothing else to do. And so the phones go down and the computers get shut and they head to the beach for the day. And it's it's amazing. Like, it's just absolutely – there's like a peace that wrestles. Sorry, I'm, yeah. But but also, Drew, you just mentioned the, 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 the young people that, may, you know, maybe they're doing uh, too much. The kids these days, I tell you. They just never get off the couch. And and I think, oh, man, John's like nailing this home. It's it's about like delighting in the rest of the day. It's what you're talking about is actually the. I think it's restlessness. I think I think we just and then there's no chance that my my nephew is listening to this right now, but we just had him stay at our place for a couple months, and uh, and he was on the couch a lot with his phone and his computer and this was his life. And I said, dude, I feel like you've long transitioned from rest and into restlessness. Like mm-hmm. now at this point in time, you're call. looking for a distraction that might somehow lead you off of the couch. But that's, I think I think that's a really different thing. That's interesting. What do you think about that, John? Rest into restlessness. Absolutely, because I think if you're not working, okay, you can't rest well if you don't work well, and I would argue vice versa. So if you're not actually working, if your life isn't marked by contribution then rest is going to be this kind of anemic, empty, weird, restlessness kind of feeling that you get. And of course, we have to remember when we talk about this is that people are all along a spectrum. And I don't think it's divided by age. I think it's more about personality and even place in the world. So some people are on the workaholic spectrum, like myself, and then others are way on the side of laziness. And they're busy, but they're busy with, you know, Netflix reruns from some TV show from 10 years ago or whatever, rather than Exactly. So some people need to hear, hey, you need to work six days and rest one, not rest five. And other people need to hear, hey, you need to work six days and then rest. You need to actually stop and break and breathe. And so that's the beauty. God knew that when he gave the commandment, which is a commandment for Sabbath, but he knew that when he embedded the command to work six days into it. So, I mean, I lead a church that's 65% under the age of 30 and single. So I have young people all over, and I would not at all classify them as a whole as lazy. Part of that's because we're in an urban context. It costs a lot of money just to live in our city. So most of them are out of college or in school and grad school. A lot of them are in medical residency. A lot of them are professionals working really hard at their career. And often, some of those sync professionals have some of the worst work-life balance because they don't have a family to get home to. They don't have three kids to take care of. So they just work, work, work all the time. So, of course, we have the lazy couch potato kids that don't want to grow up, the Peter Pans or so. Absolutely, we have those. But we have a whole bunch of type A 28-year-olds that are working every single day of the week, 12 hours a day, and they don't know how to rest. I'm not sure that it's so much a generational issue as much as it is a personality issue and even a place and kind of context you live in a city or where do you live and what's your context like who's been more of an influence on you rob bell or nt wright nt wright for sure rob bell's a very different kind of category than i would place myself in yeah i was and just NT Wright, i would argue has been one of the two greatest influences on on my life and definitely how i read the bible okay you can, the other one i'm sure is jesus but is there another is there a third uh dallas willard i would say that huh. nt wright taught me how to read the bible and dallas willard taught me how to follow jesus Really? And their writings have, after the Bible, obviously, have shaped me more than anything else. I I had just a great, great hangout with Dallas Willard a number of years ago uh, down at uh, whatever, what was that, University of Southern California? No, what is it? Where was he at again? Anyway, whatever university he was at. Um, and I was bummed when he died because there was a guy who, who could smell the heart. 
I think I said that right. You're in, uh, where are you, Oregon? Portland, Oregon. Yeah, uh, and you're in, you're in Portland, Oregon. Okay, is that the Mark Driscoll area? No, he's north of us, or was north of us in Seattle, which is very similar, both in the Pacific Northwest, a couple hours north in Washington. Right. Now that he's not doing what he's doing, maybe you could be the new him. Yeah, may he rest in peace. I don't think so. Oh, man, you're funny, dude. I was leading uh, 14 churches. I couldn't pull off three, so I don't think uh, I don't think that's my gig. <laughs> oh man, too funny. All right, let's let's wind this up by by actually talking about uh, you know getting some, putting some meat on the bones here as far as the Sabbath conversation goes. Right. So, what do you guys do on the Sabbath? What rules do? You, oh, wait, how old are your kids, by the way? My kids are 10, 7, and six. Okay, so you're real parenting right now. What, what rules do you have for them? Because when well, I hear Sabbath, I go off, right to rules. Yes, yeah. So first off, we would never phrase it that way. We would say that we set aside a day a week for rest and worship, and anything that falls into the category of rest or worship, we do with freedom and creativity and joy. And those are obviously broad categories. Our kids absolutely love the Sabbath. They look forward to it all week long. Because some rules are fantastic rules. So one is don't work. So Jude doesn't have to practice his piano, which he hates to do anyway. They don't have to do chores. They don't have to do homework. They don't have to get up at a certain time or go to bed at a certain time. What? We eat special food. We have donuts every single Sabbath morning. We go out and get them down the walk. We eat. We They're relax. Holy. We read books. We play Legos. We go to the park. So the kids absolutely look forward to it all day long. Our youngest don't have much of a good handle on time, so they ask just about every day, is it Sabbath yet? <laughs> so they'll, they'll figure it out soon enough. And so, yeah, I mean, there are certain disciplines. Rest is a discipline. I think that's one of the reasons that it's so hard for a lot of people, because self-discipline is a lost art in Western society, because mm-hmm. we've basically given ourselves over to hedonism. So rest is a discipline. You actually have to say no and create parameters for you to rest well and fight off the temptation to, you know, work or email or whatever the thing is. So basic category for us is, you know, we don't do any media or anything like that. We turn off our phones and our computer, but it's not a legalistic rule. There's freedom and space there if we need to do something. But our kids absolutely delight, and it's just for our family, for my wife, for me. We're all different personalities. I'm an introvert, so I love the idea of alone, a day alone to kind of read and be alone and my wife is a total extrovert she rides her bike and get coffee with gets coffee with her best friend and hangs out and walks down to the park so for all of us with all of our different personalities different ages it is without a doubt like nine times out of ten the best day of our week you know it sounds like you have hijacked the sabbath with grace yeah, I think that's kind of what Jesus is into. So I'm a fan. Actually, I think it got hijacked, and we're just bringing it back. Nice. Well done. Mic drop. bringing Sabbath back. <laughs> Dude, uh, I've enjoyed this. I, you know, I, I never, I don't usually get preachers on the on the show who've written books because, you know, there's something about copying and pasting things into a book that drives me a little bonkers because they're messages, right, for the most part. But, and I, yeah. and I just, you know, I don't know, I'm just... Ah, crap. I, I like you. Okay, let's move on. It's getting too mushy. John, John Mark well, Cummer. Yes. thanks for having me on, man. It's great to hear. You're, you're pretty lively for Canadian. I'm not going to lie. Are you actually Canadian? Stop it. It's all the donuts. No, don't meat. stop it. This is good. Keep going. Yes, I'm Canadian. You just answer the question like this, with a statement that sounds like a question. Yes, I am Canadian. Yes, I am Canadian. <laughs> I am Canadian. <laughs> yeah, Actually, absolutely. that's how you sound we're, we're Irish. We're close enough to the border that we have a lot of Canadians in our church. We have a couple on staff. I just love to make fun of them. They're just the nicest people on earth, and they're just so fun to make fun of. I just 
this this cruel like satanic part of me. And, that's and then really we'll sad. we'll apologize to you for making fun of us. <laughs> yeah. Sorry if you offended me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness! Thanks for having me on. Have a great Saturday. Yeah. Happy Hanukkahs. You got it. All right. Take care, man. Short break, folks. We'll be right back. Friends Two decades ago, Not Without My Daughter told of a daring escape by an American mother and her six-year-old child from an abusive and fanatical Iranian husband and father. Now that daughter finishes the story that captivated the world in My Name is Matab. Follow Matab as she survives her imprisonment and escape, and her life after fleeing Iran, living in fear of re-abduction, battling recurring nightmares and panic attacks, and surviving life-threatening illness, all under the menacing shadow of her father. My Name is Matab is the story of an extraordinary young woman's triumph over crushing trauma to build a life of peace and forgiveness. Bye. 